All right, well, I'd like to welcome everybody tonight. Yeah, she's going to turn that up. Welcome those watching on live stream. Um, it's good to have you guys. I was just talking about the live stream earlier with Salada. And, you know, ironically, at first I was a little kind of like when we decided to do live stream at the church, you know, five years ago. I thought, well, I don't know if live stream is, is a really good thing because maybe that would, you know, keep people at home or they wouldn't want to come to church. And it's kind of the lazy way to watch at church in their pajamas. Then, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I stated that. Am I on? I'm on. Yeah. Okay. And that's on. okay. Good. I think I'm good. So, but anyway, was thinking about it and some wise counsel, you know, there are people that are ill that have surgeries that uh, are traveling. I just heard that, that people can watch from home and watch one while they're on the road and they can watch while we, uh, while they are, uh, you know, not feeling well. And I thought, that, that right there is, is reason enough. You know, when people have surgeries, they can stay at home and watch. And so I think that live stream, so welcome those who are watching on live stream tonight. Um, it's good to be here. I, I saw brownies over there when I walked in. And I smelled brownies all day because my wife made them. But have I had a brownie yet? No. So if you could grab me a brownie for later, maybe. And oatmeal cookies. I mean, there is a smorgasbord over there, which I, I don't know if I said that right. Smorgasbord? Board? I don't know what it is. Okay, thank you. Um, so good to be with the body of Christ. I was away. I was actually 30,000 feet in the air last week at this time, heading home from Atlanta. From Vienna. We went Nashville to Atlanta to hear from the SING Conference. And uh, Pastor Greg made it here on time, and um, we didn't. <laughs> so we were in the air. I would have rather been here. But um, it's just always so good to be back with the body and surrounded by fellow believers uh, it's, uh, it just brings joy to my heart. Um, so I'd like to begin with prayer. And as always, I, 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 uh, uh, I did notice Pastor Greg saved the prayer to the end uh, last time. And, and I, I, that may be because of the live stream, because sometimes we can't hear what the prayer requests are. Uh, so maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll wait till the end so that we can really have people focus in so we can share their needs and we can pray for those separately at the end when we close. So let's now just go ahead and begin in prayer to start the evening. Father God, we, we, uh, we love you. We are so grateful for your mercy and your kindness and your hand that watches over us, Lord. Lord, I pray that um, as everyone is, has come here today, they've come from some, some sort of day. We, it might have been a good day. It might have been a tough day. It might have been a day of recovery. Um, but Lord, I pray that their hearts will settle into tonight's teaching, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will illuminate this text as we, uh, as, as, I, as we go over this beautiful passage, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will illuminate the things that we need to know, the learning about the character qualities of you and how we are to act and behave. And, and even just in this narrative, just the amazing story and, and, uh, that, that occurs here in this, in this text. So, Lord, we pray so much in, uh, that we just receive this tonight, clear our minds as we begin to study your word, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I'd like to start with, uh, we're going to be in Esther chapter 8. No, I'm sorry, Ch Esther chapter 7. So if you'd like to turn to Esther chapter 7, that is where we will land tonight. We'll be there. So as I'll let you guys... I thought you covered six. <laughs> Pastor Greg just asked me, I think it's six. And I thought, I hope you covered six, but we will... We will actually come from four up to seven briefly. So, uh, because because tonight's chapter, 
is really the, it's the, it's the, the, near the end of the movie. It's not the end of the movie, but it's very close to this text and what's happening. And it really hits, hits a, a huge pinnacle. But I want to show you how we got there because that's important. In fact, it's almost the major focus of tonight is the journey to where we end up here and the darkness that we come out of into the light. It's a really great thing. But I'm going to go ahead and read a passage for you because as I was reading about this particular uh, protagonist in this, in this chapter, uh, or is it antagonist? The bad guy, whoever that is. I just want to read a passage here. This is out of Genesis. It says, His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for I am in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide you and your little ones, provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Tonight's passage is interesting. Haman is certainly the bad guy, as we've learned and we've seen. Uh, and tonight, the evil that Haman had planned for Mordecai, Esther, and all the Jews, the tables are turned. And we're going to see that in a magnificent way. In fact, such a crazy way that it's, they're not just turned, they're turned completely over, 360. And so what, what, what Haman had intended for destruction, God had a sovereign plan to come in and to completely, not just 180 it, but 360 it. And it's just a really powerful story. And so, you know, as we come into this, I, uh, we're, we're really going to see, I, I kind of like to give an overview when we start teaching, but we're going to see two major acts of God that are actually going to be demonstrated in, this, in this, these two passages that we're going to read, both chapters 7 and 8. And there's two major things that occur that are a culmination of, of the story as we come from chapter 4 into this, these two chapters. Um, and I was, I was looking, I was reading this, and I did reflect back to, to where kind of the journey began, mainly in chapter 4. Uh, it brought me to the question, you know, do you ever feel down and out? Do you ever have struggles or in, in, have been in dark places where there just doesn't seem to be? I see the light coming in so beautifully over there, that, that crack. But, but when you look at the sky in your moment, is, is it just gloomy? You know, like up north, they have that seasonal affective disorder where it's just dark all the time. But, and you just wait for just that, just that break, just that light that just kind of streams in. And then the, the clouds begin to break up. But as we're in, you know, in this particular book, what we see is coming from a very dark place. And I mean dark. And the parallels are really neat. I'll point these out as we go through. But, you know, Mordecai had learned that all of his people, because of him, were going to be exterminated. And that's about as dark as it gets. And so I know that sometimes we can feel like we're in very dark places. Remember the sackcloth and ashes? And there's just no end in sight, and you're just trying to figure out what's going on. Um, there, there is a clearing. There, the sun will shine again. Amen. 
and that's something we really need to remember. So let's let's go. You ask, well, why is this important? Okay, so yeah, we, we get it. We've heard this before, but why is it important? Uh, because faith requires us to keep our gaze during these times fixed on what or who? Christ, right? So during these dark times, what we notice that in these passages, Mordecai, Esther, the Jews were all faithful and they kept their eyes fixed on Christ, whether it was through fasting and obedience, prayer, focus, retaining who they were as Jews, their eyes were fixed. I'd like to give you a couple passages. In fact, I'm just going to read a couple things for you. One is out of Hebrews. I love this chapter, Hebrews 12. It says, therefore, since we, that's the believers, are surrounded by so, so great a cloud of witnesses. And this is referring back to the, people, the men of faith that are in chapter 11. Since we're, we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses that went before us, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus, keeping our eyes fixed on Christ, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated on the right hand of the throne of God. Keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, on Christ, is the only way to go. In fact, the other passage I'd like to read for you is out of Matthew 14. You don't need to turn there, but let me just read. And Peter answered him, Obviously, they're in a storm. Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you out, of, on the, out on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind and waves, in another text, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, saying to him, Oh, of little faith, why do you doubt? What did Peter do there? What did he look at? What did he take his eyes off of? Christ. He looked at his surroundings. He looked at the wind. He looked at the waves. I'm sure it was terrifying and dark and stormy. There weren't really, it wasn't lit. They were out in the middle of the, the giant lake. But when he took his eyes off of Christ and began to look around at other things, there he went. And so just a couple of passages. And, and now let's go, to more, let's go back to Esther here and look at chapter 4. Look at verse 4 and 14. Ch I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 14. And I just want to show you in this particular passage, and we, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, it says, For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place. There's Mordecai having faith his eyes fixed on Christ, or, well, fixed on God, knowing that God's sovereign hand would go forward no matter what. Regard, I mean, look at the circumstances he was in. The, the Jews were just about to be exterminated within a few months, and Mordecai, in this narrative, has kept his eyes fixed on God. His steadfastness is fixed on God. Uh, and Esther did as well. Look at 4.16. Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days. There's her obedience. 
and I and my young women will also fast as you do. So she's recommending that. She's telling that, proclaiming it. She's doing it herself. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. That is keeping your eyes fixed on God, regardless of the circumstances. She's facing death. When you approach the king without him knowing or without him receiving you, and he didn't put out his golden scepter, you instantly could be put to death. She said, if I perish, I perish. Where were her eyes fixed on Christ, on God, on, on her Redeemer, on her sovereign Lord, the King of the Jews, uh, you know, the, the God of Israel? And so those are just a few examples. As I kind of came into this, I wanted to, as, as we move from the dark place sort of into the light place that we're going to see tonight, I just wanted to paint a picture, number one, of the darkness they were in that we see them coming out of into the light of this passage here. And number two, there's several things throughout this that I want to focus on. And one of the main things is keeping our gaze fixed on Christ and our fixed on the Lord. Um, so as we just kind of run through the overview, so we find out in, in verse 4, obviously, Mordecai is in ashes. This is very important because tonight there's going to be something completely opposite. He's, he's, he's covered in sackcloth and ashes. Uh, chapter 5 um, uh, you know, look at verse 2, a little further down there. The king saw the queen standing in the court, and she won favor in his sight. We know that that's God's hand moving in favor. Um, we work in our way into uh, chapter, the end of chapter 5. Let's go to verse, uh, verse 9. And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. And I want you to remember these things because there's a, I, drew, I actually formulated a graph based on these passages. It was just an observation I made, but Haman's happy as a clam, right? He's, he's excited. Uh, he says, when Haman, but when he saw Mordecai in the king's gate, this is verse 9 of chapter 5, that he neither rose nor trembled before him. He was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, he was, he was angry. Obviously, he did not like Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained, restrained himself and went home. Chapter, verse 11, recount to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all of these things, he's in a really happy place. As we begin to move into chapter 6, things begin to go downhill for Haman. Look down at verse 10 of chapter 6. Actually, actually, let, let's go back up for a second. We have King, King Ahasuerus, he's basically recounting things, and he's, he's saying, who is that guy that saved my life? Oh, Mordecai. So in verse 3 of chapter 6, he says, And the king said, What honor of distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's young men who attended him said, Nothing's been done. So who's just entered the court? Haman's come in. And this is just irony of all ironies. I know we covered this last week. But, but Haman then, verse, verse 10, Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robes and the horse as you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Leave nothing out that you have mentioned. So Haman took the robes. You know this was begrudgingly. And he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming uh, before him, Thus shall it be done to the man who the king delights to honor. So here's, here's my graph. I know that the camera won't pick it up, but I just was... I made this little graph. Kind of looks like a Confederate flag. Sorry about that. Uh, but 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 what you have here is chapter four, five, six, seven, and eight. And what what's going on is Haman 
right about this chapter. He's fine, in fact, a little elated, and then things begin to slowly drop off for him in this particular text from 4 to 8. And then from here, down in the trenches, Esther, Mordecai, the Jews, all of them, have a few things that keep getting better and better and better till we get to the top. And so you have this, this, sort, of, this sort of parallel thing going on between the, the two characters, the two groups of people in this that are happening. And you'll see God's hand not only raising up and showing favor, but also judging and, and, and having things come down. Just a really neat passage. So as we kind of come into, finally, into chapter uh, 7 here, Let's go ahead and begin the text, but let's start, let's start just up at verse 12 of, of chapter 6. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning. See, there's the decline begins, and with his head covered. And Haman told his wife Zeresh and all of his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to, have begun to, to, to fall, is of the Jewish people... You will surely not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. There's the doom and gloom of what leads into chapter, uh, what leads into chapter seven. So, chapter seven begins with part one of God's saving hand. There's two basic acts that we see in these two chapters here. So let's begin. Um, actually, with with verse fourteen of six, as we lead into seven. While they were yet talking with him. The king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. Remember, there was a first feast that we're going to come to. Actually, this was actually, I'm sorry, let me, let me, uh, I misspoke. That's this, this is the second feast. There were two feasts that Esther had prepared. If you look back uh, on chapter 5, she, she had a banquet prepared for Haman and for the king. So this is actually the second feast. So Verse 7, or chapter 7, verse 1, so the king and Haman went into the feast with Queen Esther. And, you know, I don't know that Haman, in fact, I know, he, he knew that something was afoot, but I don't think he had any idea just how bad things were going to get and quick. So here he comes, happy as a clam because he was invited to the second feast. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to Esther, What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to that half of my kingdom, which by the way is hyperbole, it's just an exaggerated statement, it, it shall be fulfilled. Then queen, answered, and then queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. Now, I think up to that very second, Haman, who was seated with Queen Esther and the king, because Haman was the, the, the number two guy, the, or his, his right wing, right hand, what do they call it? The wingman, or whatever you want to call it, the right hand man. He's seated there, right up to this very point. And then listen to what Esther says. Esther says, For we have been sold, and my. I and my people to be, now remember the soul was 10,000 talents, right? To be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Let's pause right there. Because at that moment, at that very second, 
picture the picture the whatever. Maybe they're you know eating grapes or they're drinking or they're drinking wine after dinner. They're sitting there, and Esther says this thing. Haman's sitting there. For we have been sold, and I, I, my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Haman wrote those words. Those are Haman's words that she used. If you look back at chapter uh, chapter three. Chapter 3, towards the end of 13, the king's provinces with the instruction to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate the, all Jews. So Haman, I, I'm just picturing in my head, Haman sitting there, drinking wine, having a good time, and he hears out of Esther's mouth those three things. At what point did it start to register for him? Frightening. It's over. It's over. So, let's continue on to be, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would not have been silent, for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss of the king. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, Who is he? And where is he who has dared to do this? Ironically, right there. Wow. And Esther said, a foe and an enemy. She's even putting more emphasis on this. She's making this, this is the, the, the greatest dig. There's no question. A foe and an enemy, this wicked Haman. I can't imagine what Haman was thinking at that point, but, but I know what God had in mind. See, sometimes we think that, again, this is a very unique story in that we see the relief and God helping and, 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 and creating a, a way out for, for the people, for Esther, for the Jews. But at the same time, concurrently, we see those who are in power begin to fall and fall hard. We don't always see those two things happening. We see the news. We see things that, that are happening and we go, Lord, why, we want to we pray. Remember imprecatory prayers? that were prayed like, Lord, take this government down. I'm not saying it right now. I don't, I'm on a live stream. I don't mean that. But, but I mean, but we think of things of, of people that, that, that are evil and that are coming up against the Lord and things that are done wrong to children. And we say, Lord, how long? How long will this last? How long will this go on? Can you take them down now? Can you, can, can, you know, show judgment? Now, I do believe we are under judgment because God's given us over to ourselves. But like, sometimes I want them just like, take them out. So you have this occurring, and then in this beautiful story, the way this is written, you have this, this rise. As the fall happens, the rise is occurring. And it's just really unique to see. And that can happen oftentimes in our lives. you know. And you don't know it at the time. There might be something that comes up that you're like, this is beyond me. I don't understand this. This is... I, I, these test results, I, where did this come from? I, I don't, I thought I was healthy, you know, or uh, man, I, I, we, I cannot believe we have to replumb the entire house. How are we going to do this? But somehow God comes through, he rescues us, and then other things are prevented or even taken down. Um, but this is just a unique story because of this. And you see this sometimes, it happens in situations, but I just think it's very unique in here and I want to pay attention to that. So, a phone, this wicked Haman, this is the end, this is chapter, this is verse six. Then Haman, obviously, 
was terrified before the king and the queen. So, verse 7, And the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into a palace garden. And I think it's ironic here because early on, the last time, or one of the first times that we saw the king arise from his wine drinking, he was asking his former queen to come and parade herself around. Um, But in this particular situation, God has him turned against the enemy. And so he turns, and it says that he, I don't really know why he stepped away. I would assume maybe to collect his thoughts, to, uh, to gather his, what he was going to do, uh, to uh, maybe even try to cool down. So he wasn't irrational, but he was in a rage. So it says he stepped away. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther. So if you could picture that, he's staying, he's, he knows what's going on, the jig is up. So he's begging, for he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. He could read the king, obviously. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine as Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. Now, I think that kind of startled the king a bit. It's, several commentators and uh, theologians have kind of thought, well, maybe he, was, maybe he was just, it looked like he was trying to harm her because of his posture. He was probably on his knees, probably close to her, maybe even touching her, which is punishable by death. And so he was in a strange position. The king returns at the time and sees this, just to set the stage for it. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking, as Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. And the king said, Will he even assault the queen in my presence, in my own house? Which means the king seemed to see something that looked unethical. As the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. And that was basically a death sentence. That's like almost like the mob. When they put the bag over your head, you're dead. You know, that you're going in the car, you're going to get sent out to the river with concrete, you know, cement shoes. And so they, they, they covered his face, and that was pretty much the death sentence. So there's Haman beginning to uh, get what he actually deserved. Verse 9. And then Harbona, one of the king's eunuchs uh, in attendance of the king, uh, said, moreover, he's like, oh, by the way, I know the perfect spot, basically, is what he's saying. So what Haman built for evil will actually be for good in this story because it's going to be completely reversed. Not just reversed, but 360 Moreover, the gallows that Haman was prepared, had prepared uh, for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, is standing at Haman's house. 50 cubits high. That's about 75 feet. And remember, these gallows were, I don't know how, I, I should have done some research, but remember these gallows were a, actually a, a post, a beam that, that these people were impaled on. They weren't just hanging. They were impaled on it. So 75, that's, that's quite a ways up. I would imagine the whole city could see that, right? So you've got a guy impaled on a pole somehow. Um, he gets a point, right? <laughs> and and but it's but it's on display for everyone to see, which kind of ties into a, something that comes up a little later in the story, the very last verse in this chapter or the next chapter. So, and the king said, "Hang him on that, impale him on that." Actually, so they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king abated. That appeased him. Now, in that particular verse, in verse 10, 
that is the very first thing. There's three major things that the king did to begin to right the situation. Three things. If you want to write them down, I'll just tell you what they are, and then we can kind of progress and see. The first thing he did is that he, uh, Haman was killed. He was, he was taken care of. So Haman was killed. That's the first thing the king did. The second thing is that uh, the king then gave everything that was Haman's to Mordecai and Esther. So all of Haman's property, house, belongings were turned over to Mordecai and Queen Esther. The third thing, which is hugely significant as well, is that the ring that Haman wore, which sealed the decree for the Jews to be killed, was taken from Haman and given to Mordecai. So these are the three major things that occur. So the, 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 you could just write down that the, the ring exchanged hands, literally, right? I don't know if they cut it off, but so that's huge. We'll get to it, but I want to give you the three things. So let's look. The first one, obviously, is in verse 10 there. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king abated. So in chapter 8, let's begin that. On, on, the, on that day, the same day, King Ahasuerus gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was to her. Now that's interesting. Up to that point, their relationship was not revealed. Esther had not said. Esther had said she was a Jew. We know that because of what she had just said. But the relationship between Mordecai and, ha and, uh, and Esther, excuse me, wasn't revealed. But here she revealed it. So it says, he said, for Esther had told what he was to her. Uh, so it was revealed. And the king took off, here's the, here's the third thing, took off his signet ring. He must have been wearing it after they took it off, off uh, Haman, which he, had which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. So it was basically a transfer of power. Haman went from, uh, excuse me, I'm sorry, Mordecai went from the cousin of Esther who raised her, who did have some prominence because he was able to go into the king's court. We know that from early on. And he was transferred in. Uh, and now he was just basically made the number two guy in the entire region of the entire nation. So that was huge. So those major three things that occurred, all at the hand of God, all at the hand of, of a sovereign God who had providence for this, this story. Verse 3, then Esther spoke again to the king. She fell at his feet and wept and pleaded with him to avert the evil plan of Haman and the Haman the Agagite and the plot who, that he had devised against the Jews. When the king held out the golden scepter to Esther, Esther rose and stood before the king. It's very formal. She was allowed to come approach. And, he sa and she said, If it please the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and if the thing seems right before the king... Notice her humility that keeps, you see it all throughout her, 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 her serving, her time, so humble. It's a very high quali uh, character quality that we see in here. We'll, we'll, we're going to talk about it at the end. Um, and if I am pleasing in his eyes, let an order be written to revoke the letter, devi letters devised by Haman the Agagite, the son of 
Hamadatha, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all the provinces of the king. So pause right there. She's asking for the, the edict that went out to destroy the Jews. He, she, can you basically, can you re revoke that? Just make it null and void. Now that's something that could not be done. It couldn't be done. He, the king couldn't do that. The edict already went out. It was just against their policies of the king's court. And so that didn't work. However, there was another way. God had another plan. If we continue on, verse 6, For how can I bear to see the calamity of my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? Then King Ahasuerus said to the Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, now here he goes through the three things he did again. Pay attention here. I have given Esther to Esther the house of Haman. That's one thing. And they have hanged him on the gallows. That's two things because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king and seal it with the king's ring. Here's the third thing that was done. The transfer of power was transferred to Mordecai. He said, in the name of the king and seal it with the king's ring for an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. So now the power is all with Mordecai. They couldn't, you know, turn the other edict upside down and, and, and minimize it, but they could do something else now because they had the power of the ring. It's almost like the Lord of the Rings, you know, this, the signet ring that was stamped and pressed into wax that was sent out to all the, the regions. So now this, this particular text from, from verse 9 down to, goodness, almost 15, is nearly exactly the same as chapter 3. It's a mirror edict. And you'll see a lot of that in this book. As you, as, as you look at this whole book overall, there's things that start with a feast and they end with a feast. They start with an edict that went out and then they end with an edict that went out. For bad, for good. For bad, for good. It's very interesting the way it was written. The whole It's beautiful. This could probably be studied in depth on just the way it was laid out and written. Um, so you'll see from, these, from this verse, I'll, I'll just read through the text, read through this particular passage, and you could always go back and forth, but it, it's, it's so, it's, it mirrors it, basically. Uh, this is for the good. The king's scribe were summoned at this time in the third month, which is, a, which is in the month of Sivan. Okay, so that's, that's between May and June, right? It's two months and ten days after Haman's degree, or decree. So about two months, just over two months since Haman did his thing. Two months later, this edict comes out, right? Uh, eight months and 20 days until the decrees were to be enacted. So they've got eight months to, to reverse things, to change things, to send something out that's going to stop the destruction of the Jews. Eight months, just to give you an idea of, of what that looks like. So, Savon, so on the 23rd day, and an edict was written according to all that Mordecai had, command, Mordecai had commanded concerning the Jews to the satraps and the governors and the officials and the provinces from India to Ethiopia. That's quite a bit. 127 provinces to each province in its own script. I wonder how long this took. Good thing they had eight months. That's a long time to get this written out by whatever on papyrus or whatever, they, however they did it. Um, and so it's script to, to each people in its own language and also to the Jews in their script and their language. And he wrote, this is verse 10, and he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed it with the king's 
signet ring that he had been given. Then he sent the letters by mounted couriers riding on swift horses that were used in the king's service, bred from the royal stud, saying that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives. Now here, look at the, look at the words again here. To destroy and kill and to annihilate an army force, any armed force of people. See that, those three words again. They started with Haman. Esther used them sitting on the couch with the two guys, which, which led to Haman's death. And here they are again. So the Jews were now allowed to defend themselves and do exactly the same thing that, was, that, that the, all the armies were going to do. They were going to defend themselves to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods. Now remember the plunder the goods part, because next week, probably as this concludes, uh, there's something to be said about that. Verse 12, and on, and on one day throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, a copy of what was written was to be issued as a decree in every province being publicly displayed to all peoples, and the Jews were ready were to be ready on that day to take vengeance on their enemies. Now, at this point of the story, I did read Ford, so I know what happens. But at this point, I'm like, really? They just get to fight back? Like, can't they just be wiped out? You know, I mean, the, the bad guys, you know, can't, the, can't God just like reverse the edict on his own or do something to change the mind of the king or change the laws or, or maybe prevent the people from even, even coming out in eight months? But God just says, no, you, you can, he allows the people to fight back. So I kind of was thinking, well, is that good enough? I mean, is that enough, you know, just to be able to fight back? Well, you know God. So let's just continue. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go there. But that's that's for next week. Okay, that's you. <laughs> so, um, so to be ready to take the end of verse 13 there to take vengeance on their enemies. Yeah. So couriers mounted on their swift horses that were used in the king's service rode out hurriedly, urged by the king's command, and the decree was issued in Susa, the citadel. Uh, verse 15. So well, actually, so you can see. Um, so there, there basically was a, a mirror image of the edict that went out. It went out the same way. However, this time it was stamped by the Lord's sovereign hand with, with, with a, with a, under, on Mordecai's hand, not on Haman's hand. Same edict. And the Jews were allowed to do the same thing that was supposed to be done to them. Uh, instead of being exterminated, they could actually fight back. So they had eight months. Well, I don't know how long it took, but at least, say, maybe five months to prepare to get together, gather whatever they're going to get together. Um, so let's look at verse 15. Then Mordecai, now here is, this is, here's my, remember my little chart here, how in chapter 8 it just continues to go up and up and up and up and up. I love this part here. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes. You know, royal robes are blue and white. Those were the Persian royal colors, blue and white. With a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple. So Mordecai went out in the presence, out from the presence of the king. He went out into the, 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 the public in royal robes of blue and white with a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple. 
So, but if you go back to chapter 4, when Mordecai learned all had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried out with a loud and bitter cry. Do you see how beautifully God brought one thing all the way to the next? We may feel at times that we are where Mordecai was. Things are dark, they're gloomy. But if you trust and know that God will provide, things might not always turn out beautifully. We don't know what God has for us. We want to pray that His will is done always in our lives. But, but we know that God is good and merciful. And to see then this story, this is affirming when you see something like this and the parallels that are drawn where, where one man started and where he ended here in this particular chapter. It's a complete contrast. And I think that's something to remember that uh, even in our dark, dark places that God has something wonderful for us. And, and there's just, there's things we need to do and maintain, but I'm going to save that for my conclusion in a minute. But, but I love this. I love the contrast there. He starts in, dust, in, in sackcloth and ashes and, and, and terrible burlap. And then he went out in royal robes of blue and white and a robe of fine linen and purple. And, and the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. Look back at chapter 4. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, this is chapter 4, verse 2, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. There's a contrast of all the people. What a huge contrast just in a few chapters that they were mourning and weeping in the streets. And now the Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And every province and every city, wherever the king's command had and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews. You know, as I read that, I thought, we do need to keep our eyes on Christ. They kept their eyes on the Lord, and the Lord provided. And it's just, just the contrast alone is just, it was just really neat to see that. Um, There will be difficult times in our lives. We know that. We've all been through them. But as we think of the things that God has delivered us from in the past, and the Israelites were no stranger to that, we remember and we reflect on those things. We see how God's hand of providence moves and, and, and rescues us and makes things good for us that are good, that are right in His eyes. It's encouraging. It helps build our faith. And not only, not only does it help build our faith, let's continue reading. Look at this. Uh, look at this last verse here. Well, actually, we're in 17. And in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was gladness and a joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday. Look at this last section here. And many peoples of the country declared themselves Jews for fear of the Jews had fallen on them. What does that mean? When I first read it, this is why Bible study is good. Because when I first read it, I'm like, oh, I see. I'm going to call myself a Jew so I don't get annihilated. That's what I thought at first, because that's kind of how it read a little bit. But looking back at good commentary from scholars, one of the scholars I looked at was a Puritan from the you know, Matthew Henry. 
but all the, all the commentaries agreed that this was actually a moment where people that were non-Jews turned to the God of Israel because of what they saw. God's hand, watching what occurred here, turned people to the God of Israel. Not all of them, many of them, because they saw what occurred. In fact, their gods that they relied on early in the book, in the, in the battle with the Greek, they failed. That didn't work. But they saw what occurred throughout this whole thing, God's hand moving, and many were converted to, 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 uh, to, to the, the people of Israel. That's interesting. Which, made me, which, which, which brought me to the thinking where I just was a second ago, that as we see things that God has done in our life, coming out of darker times, yes, it informs us and it informs our faith, and it allows us to remember the good, knowing that when something comes, I do remember what God did in this situation. He is faithful. But in addition to that, it can actually be a, a wonderful thing to share with non-believers. It can affirm each other. You can, we can affirm our fellow brothers. Hey, guess what God did in my life? You wouldn't believe this. You know, I, I went in for you know, a, a, a certain procedure, and I, I thought that maybe I would actually be stuck in the hospital because if they got in there and found something bad, I'd have to stay, maybe go back and get more stints. All right, Steve? Yeah. Talk about Steve. But God made a way. God did something different. And when I hear stories like that, and we pray over Steve at church, now I'm not saying God always, God has his own unique plans for us, and we need to understand that. But when we see these wonderful, miraculous things that occur, it builds our faith as believers. But not only that, we can share those things with unbelievers. You know what? How's your day? Oh, it was great, you know, co-worker. God, I just, God really, I, you know, some amazing things happened, and I, and I, I credit those to, to the Lord. Well, what do you mean? Well, I was going to do this, and I, I couldn't quite afford this, so I had to move money or, monies around, and and some reason I got this check that I didn't remember was coming, that I, I didn't even know about, and God just kind of made a way for me. And, and, and you can share that with a non-believer. Now, we do need to share the gospel, obviously. But what a wonderful beginning of a conversation for people to see what God is doing in our lives because that's what occurred here. These people that were non-Jews saw this and were converted. I think it's just a, a, a really unique thing, and I think we need to remember that as we, as we uh, have things that happen to us, that we share those things not only with believers to affirm each other, but with non-believers, because it can make a, make a great segue into sharing the gospel, you know. And the more of those things that people see, uh, the more they might be open to listen to what you have to say. So as we conclude, I'm not quite done, so don't put things away. <laughs> but I do want to, to recap. Um, I thought it was just really unique in this, and, and we're not done. This even more neat stuff happens. I mean, I, I kind of wanted to get into chapter 9, but I'm going to let him do that, you know. But there's some, like, God continues to increase on that scale. And, and the other, you know, the other people go down. But um, just in review, um, you know, I, tonight's a story. Tonight was a part of a story that showed us the results of God's goodness and mercy. In darker times, chapter 4, we can learn from Esther and Mordecai how to be faithful and weather the storm. So if, if you are going through things tonight, 
uh, if there's something that's on your mind, or you have a heavy heart, and maybe you don't, maybe things are going great, these are still things that we need to do and ways we need to live. And I'm going to share some things with you, six, six simple things, and I'm going to go slow enough so we can write them down because I tend to go fast on these things, and I apologize for that. But these are things that in this text we've noticed. These are character qualities, and well, not even necessarily character qualities, just ways of living for God, living for Christ that we've seen so far in this particular passage. Um, first one is to be faithful in prayer. Faithful in prayer. Prayer should be uh, preeminent in our lives. And oftentimes, um, I find myself just immediately going to my own, how I can fix something, how I can solve this, how I can alleviate the pain by watching a television show to take my mind off things. But I know for a fact that going into prayer, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, present your request to God. And what will He do? He's going to guard not only your mind, but He's going to guard your heart in Christ Jesus. That means He's going to take care of the spinning stuff that goes on in your head. Prayer is critical. We have to pray. It's got to be a, a part of your daily life whether it's on your way to work or not, or as you put your head on the pillow, but just imagine taking the time to, to steal away time throughout the day just to pray, just to even just to pray prayers of thankfulness to the Lord for what He's done in our lives. That's critical. Faithful in prayer. Number two is to be obedient. Now, that means many things, but obedient, it's a broad term. In this particular passage, um, they were... Well, Esther was willing, both Mordecai and Esther were willing to stand for the Lord. So obedience in, in how we present ourselves to our fellow believers, how we present ourselves to non-believers, we must be obedient to what we believe and what we know that comes from the Word of God. The third thing is to be submissive to the Lord and humble, to know that God has a plan no matter what we think should happen. Sometimes there might be something that we look at and go, what in the world? I don't understand this. But we know that God has a plan. We've seen it. It's right here in front of us. We know that God is sovereign. We know that when things look desperate, anything can happen with the Lord. And so we must not dwell on the darkness. We don't want to dwell on the wind and the waves. Obviously, that's going to come up. But we need to make sure that we are humble and, and, and obedient to the Lord and what He has to say and, and submissive. The fourth thing is to wait patiently on Him, even in difficult times. Uh, waiting patiently is something that's really kind of hard to do sometimes. It really is. Uh, in, in our lives, we, we want something immediate. You know, if I want something tomorrow, I, I get on Amazon. Well, oh, sorry, sometimes I order on Amazon, but some people don't like Amazon. But, but we can, it used to be when I was a kid, you'd have to write on the, take, cut the cereal box off the back and fill out the thing and send the check, and in six to eight weeks, you'd get something. But now it's, it's immediate. And it, especially in this time and age where we want something fast, we want results quickly, and man, I, I just had the blood work yesterday. Why is it not ready today, you know? And uh, we, we must learn to exercise our process of waiting on the Lord, to really wait patiently. And I think it's important. Um, there are many periods of time in this passage that they did that. Um, the fifth thing is what we start off at the beginning is really to keep our, our, our gaze fixed on Christ. It's so easy to get distracted by all the things going on around us, to get distracted by, well, he said this, and what about this? And 
and you know, man, you know, we, or we just got results back from our cat. You know, our cat's 18 years old, and well, what if he has this? And gosh, should we should we pay $500 to do this? And you know, but just keeping our gaze fixed on Christ. I know the cat thing was a silly example, but but little things matter. Pets matter. Things matter. But but keeping our our gaze fixed on Christ, no matter what's going on around us, it just it works. I'm just saying it's, it, we're told to do that in the scriptures. And there's nothing magical about it. It's Christ working in our lives. And it's us humbling ourselves to Him and keeping our gaze fixed on Him. Last thing is to trust, to really trust in God's sovereign plan. That may be a really difficult thing sometimes, especially when things are going south or things are as difficult. I mean, remember what's going on in Haman's life. If he could have just seen a few months ahead, it might have been a little easier, but we can't do that. We can trust in the Lord. We can trust that His plan, based on things we read in Scripture and things that have occurred in our lives, we know that He's good and He's kind. He will, he will see us through. So trusting in His plan uh, is, is huge, and we must always remember to do that. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and um, close in prayer. But after that, I'd like to actually take prayer requests after I close the Bible study down, okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this day, Lord. We thank you for the beautiful and amazing demonstration of your power and your goodness and your mercy that we see in the, in, in the text tonight. Lord, it's just incredible to, to see how you navigate and orchestrate every little thing, even when things were so dark, Lord, but you had a plan. And it wasn't even a plan that was just to bring one thing up. It was actually to destroy the enemies. And that was uh, just an incredible thing to see tonight, Lord. I pray as we go forward, Lord, that you will uh, keep us safe as we travel, Lord. Draw us closer to you as we draw close to you, Father, in prayer, in reading the word, and in, in following you, Lord, and waiting on you patiently, and in, in submitting to your, to your sovereign hand of provision for our lives, Lord. Be with us and bring us together Sunday, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.